0: Welcome to the Teddy Talk Podcast. I'm Teddy Tannenbaum. You know, I've only known Evelyn Allen Johnson, my guest today, for 20 of her 92 years. Evelyn has been and is still an active nurse going on 72 years now. Her story is true oral history. And when she speaks about the years of discrimination she has faced and conquered head on, it will inspire even the most cynical and naive of us. Evelyn's a published author and fascinating storyteller, so this podcast ended up being less of an interview and more of a historical download covering much of the 20th century. I was so captivated, I think I hardly said more than a phrase or two during the entire interview. My time with Evelyn lasted over an hour and a half, so strap yourself in and enjoy the ride. Hello, everybody. This is Teddy Tannenbaum, and this is another episode of the Teddy Tannenbaum Teddy Talk podcast, in meetings with remarkable people, lessons in leadership and life. And today, I am absolutely delighted to be sitting here with Evelyn Allen Johnson, a, a woman I've known for many, many years, who has an extraordinary life that she's lived, that she's living today. And she's agreed to sit here with me and have a little chat about some things she's learned along the way, so with that Evelyn welcome
1: well thank you i'm I'm honored that you have uh, uh, selected me uh, to be one of your um uh, one of your people that you would interview
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 a mutual pleasure
1: mm-hmm. so
0: Because the uh, audience may not know much about you, doesn't know anything about you, perhaps, why don't you start by telling us a little about your background, where you were born and your education, where you grew up, and your parents, and maybe even your grandparents.
1: Okay. Well, that's a long story. We'd be here all day. (laughs) (laughs) But um, uh, I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. and my mother is from North Carolina. My father was from um, uh, Virginia. And uh, they met on a train, and uh, my, uh, they met at the water fountain, because the water cooler, <laughs> because it was very hot in those days, and uh, they exchanged telephone not, they didn't have telephones, they cha- exchanged uh, addresses, and um, it seemed as though it was love at first sight. And uh, then my father went to visit, and when he left, my mother was with him, they were married there. So, and of course people didn't travel and get to know one another, but they just knew that they wanted to be together.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, so um, they were married. And uh, my father, I think, was very, ex- uh, uh, he was extraordinary. Uh, he was quite a brilliant man. Uh, he was a laborer uh, on the railroad, but he loved poetry. And he loved reading. And uh, he taught me poetry. Uh, He put me in first grade when I was four years old. Mm -hmm. He taught me to read and write. And um, uh, he passed away when I was five. But I have never forgotten him. And that's why I use the name Allen, Evelyn Allen Johnson, because I want to give him credit for introducing me to literature and teaching me to write and to appreciate the written, written word.
0: And of course, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but you're a published author yourself and have a publishing house, so we're going to talk about that certainly in a little bit. All right. So tell us, you grew up in Pittsburgh?
1: I grew up in Pittsburgh. Now, I can trace my uh, uh, heritage on both sides back to uh, in, into slavery. And uh, my um, on my father's side, my great-grandfather was a—Jules uh, Allen was his name. He was from England, and I understand he was quite a wealthy Englishman, and he settled in uh, Danville, Virginia. Uh, his family had a business in England, and they wanted him— to stay there with the rest of the family, but no, he wanted to come to America. So he came and he brought this money with him, mm-hmm. and he brought a bought a large plantation, and he had uh, quite a few slaves. And I understand he was quite a handsome gentleman, and um, they would have these um, uh, uh, parties where they, you know, announced you when you went in, and they would, did danced a min- minuet. And many of the ladies were interested in having him as their son-in-law. And they had daughters, but he never married any. And these, what I'm telling you is something that is little known, uh, because he had a slave mistress, and he had, uh, he said he would never bring anyone in the house over her. And they had five children together. And... um, uh, the child, uh, when he, and when each child was born, he wrote manumission papers and freed them. And uh, so, when he passed away, he left all of his for all of his to his children. But he had a brother who was very unhappy about this, and the brother uh, contested the will, mm-hmm. and the judge took everything away from the children. And gave it to the brother, because although the children were free, he said uh, the, the he said the law was that they could not inherit because their mother was a slave, and he had never freed her. But um, they um, the children uh, were uh, aggressive, and uh, they moved ahead. and I know my uh, great my my grandfather. Your grandfather was
0: one of those four or five children. One
1: of the five children. children. And he acquired a lot of land down in Virginia there in Danville. And uh, so he um, and my grandmother used to stand me on the back porch and said, Look, just look. You'll see. All you see is our land. And uh, they didn't have much. They just had a little house and all, but they had land. And then... um, uh, later, they decided the, the the state decided they needed an airport, so they took the land, took took a large portion of it, and um, it was eminent domain. Of course. And there's not much you can do about that. You have to. They had attorneys that were fighting it, but the attorneys I feel <laughs> knew that there wasn't any point. But they got a large portion of it. And nevertheless. Uh, the airport was um my grandmother was very unhappy about that, but uh she did have some left, and uh so later they decided that they needed a um shopping mall, so they took a great deal they took the rest of the property oh, and left her seven acres. And uh, they moved her house onto the se- seven acres, but she didn't live long after that. She was uh, because she was so used to her her home, and she was. Um, uh, some say she was full Cherokee Indian, but I don't know. I ha- I can't prove that, but I know she definitely looked as if she was. Yeah. And uh, it's a really she-
0: diverse culture and heritage here. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, but. Uh, Then uh, the, when in the airport, if you drive, if you fly into Danville, Virginia today, you, as you're landing, you'll look over and you'll see a, a, a fenced off area that has tombstones. And I understand they can take land by eminent domain, but they can't take a family cemetery. So, uh, from the air landing, you look and you see this fenced-off area, and they have uh, all these tombstones, and that's the family cemetery. And my father is buried there, and my grandmother, and they're the last of the ones to be buried there. Extraordinary. And then, on my mother's side, there was a Colonel Mm -hmm. Carson, and he was quite um uh, active in the politics at the time he entertained at his plantation he had a number of slaves and he had um a, a mansion it, the, you can ch- check on it because it's in the um uh it's on the internet the Carson plantation it's a national hint- historical site and uh so he had he he had a wife and he had children, but this was not unusual at that time. Men had wives and they had slave mistresses. And uh, so, and it's right there, you can go and see it now, the plantation. And you can, uh, uh, there's a, there was a little, uh, in the back of the big house, on the side of it, there was a stream. And on the other side of the stream, there was a, Large, another house, but you only see the piles up now. But that was the house he built for Cadella. And Cadella was a slave princess. And he had 15 children by her. And I'm not sure how many his wife had, maybe two, I think. But um, uh, when the boys were uh, reached puberty, he freed each one and sent them to Canada to live as free men. And um, I don't know how they live. I haven't any records on them uh, particularly, but I'm sure there are. Uh, but uh, my great uh, and my great grandmother told me these stories, and I it's some of it you can look uh, on the internet uh, and you can look up the Carson Plantation and uh, you will see Colonel Carson. And it mentions there that he had a slave, Cadella, named Cadella, and he had children by her. And uh, then they have all these beautiful quilts. And I usually go there every year and look at the quilts, and uh, it's quite fascinating the life that they had at that time. And um, the spinning wheels and uh, all the furniture. They had cribs and uh, the... the um, we could use some of the ideas that they had yeah. then, now. now.
0: but um, Sounds like a really a rich oral history tradition in your family that yes. you were told by your great-grandparents and your grandparents about all these experiences they had.
1: Well, yes, and uh, it was interesting that uh, there was one, another slave that men- they mentioned, Cadella and Fatima. And Fatima was my uh, great-grandmother's mother. And she was Syrian, they felt she was Syrian, because she, during that period, uh, if families had some sort of a, <clears throat> a um, well, a disagreement, they would retaliate often mm-hmm. by kidnapping someone from another family and selling them to a person, to a slave master, a slave ship owner, And he would take that person and bring them here as a slave, and that's what happened to Fatima. She was to be married, and she told my grandmother all this. And she was out with her handmaid, and she had gone to where she was to be married because she had been promised when she was two and a half years old. And but um, uh, these uh, uh, sailors. Came in a ship, and they went to see what they were about, and they threw nets over them, and she was br- so, uh, uh, brought here, and Colonel Carson bought her, and um, uh, it's it's I read this on the internet too that she had muddy blue eyes, and um, uh, a, f- a fair skin, but uh, he bought her and brought her back to uh, uh, North Carolina. And gave her to his son, and uh, his son had a Ill, had a had a son. Uh, Tinch was his name, and Tinch wasn't very well. So Tinch was uh, he was to, uh, she was to take care of Tinch, but she also had my grandmother, hmm. my great grandmother. And she's the one that told me it, everything. When I read it on the internet and the stories that she told, it all mm-hmm. fit in. All matched together. It all matched in, just like a, you, you know, you're reading a puzzle. And right. So it was. It was very interesting. And then uh, she always lived with my grandmother, and my grandmother was such a remarkable woman and uh, she was uh, uh, a brilliant woman. My, fa- my grandfather uh, was a farmer, but he had been engineer on a train. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was quite a remarkable person, and I can remember him in early days, uh, my early childhood, uh, taking me out, and I was always interested in the horses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, they raised seven girls, And uh, they managed to see that all of them had an education. And uh, so they all went to college. They were teachers. My grandmother was a teacher. Wow. And uh, that was um, a little one-room school with an outdoor toilet.
0: (laughs) This this would have been, just for time's sake, this would have been in the late 1800s. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Extraordinary.
1: And... uh, just to hear about them, and uh, and I was always surprised when I went to see my grandmother, and a little disappointed because she always she would tell me, "Oh, I've been sewing, and I have the most beautiful dress. I want you to see it." And she'd bring out this bolt of cloth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for this dress. You right. know. They didn't buy anything. Everything was on the farm, wow. and um, uh, she she could add. Oh, she could add up figures in her head. Two rows, you know, really tell you an answer real quick. Right. And the local doctor uh, was there, Dr. McIntosh. He uh, used her for his, his nurse. He had a, tra- a trained nurse, but he liked to use grandmother. And I think I mentioned this in one of my uh, writings. Right. And um, uh, Is that what inspired you to become a nurse yourself? Well, yes, because my mother was always, she was the one in the neighborhood <clears throat> that everyone called whenever they uh, anybody was sick or there was a problem. And she would go out in the middle of the night, and any battered woman knew to come to our house. Right. I had to move over for other kids lots of right. times.
0: <laughs> it was like but, a safe house.
1: Yes. And, uh and she'd go after the, whoever it was. And she was just a little woman, about five feet one. And she'd go after these big men. What did you do? <laughs> you should be ashamed of yourself. And she, she had a lot of um, uh, influence on them. And, uh, uh, but, uh, she, and she was a widow, and she raised the three of us. And she promised my father while he was on his deathbed that she, he said, see that the girls get an education. And she saw to it that we all did. Uh, That was with the help of God, because it wasn't that easy. Because of discrimination. Many times people see, uh, don't see black people. You don't see them in different positions. And the whole time I was growing up, I never saw a black teacher, and I never saw a black nurse, a colored nurse, they right. Used it that In those time. Those terms, yes. Yeah, and it. and the the feeling is you don't see them because they're not capable. They don't. They don't have the intelligence. That's the way they felt about the the Tuskegee Airmen. Right. And they ended up saving World War II. Absolutely. You, and you don't always hear that. But. Um, uh, and when I decided, uh, I would like to dance too. And I could never make up my mind whether I was going to be a tap dancer like and join up with uh, Bill Robinson, right, (laughs) or whether I was going to be a nurse. And but my aunt was a nurse in North Carolina because see in the South there was a segregation, and so black people, colored people, I'll go to, they had their own businesses, and um, they had uh, some of it. Well, they had their own and had their own colleges and whatnot. And I say the culture for uh, for uh, black people was in the South because that's where you had orators, most beautiful orators. Uh, these ministers they could hold you, hold you spe- uh, spellbound, right. and you, you usually hear the jumping up and down and whatnot. But some of them. They were very well educated, or they knew philosophy, and they would break it down so that the average person could understand it. But it was, uh, uh, but and I had an uncle who was, uh, well, all of them just about. They were involved in that type of. Um, they loved to speak the written word, <laughs> and uh, but my uh, grandmother. Uh, uh, with my aunts, she saw that they all, my grandfather, saw that they all got an education. Yeah. And my mother promised my father on his deathbed, as I said, that she would see to it that we did. Uh, so, when, I, when I was in high school, the, where you were stopped was in high school. Right. And you were refused the academic course. And you know, if you don't have algebra, if you don't have uh, a foreign language, uh, you don't have um, a Latin. They had you had to have that at the time. Chemistry. Then, when it comes time to go to college, uh, college won't accept you. Right. So, when I went to school, um, uh, uh, everybody knew I wanted to be a nurse because I had made up my mind to that, and. Um, so it was during World War II and uh the um they needed nurses. And so they had this program called the Cadet Nurse Corps that they uh, and it was set up by the uh, government and they would give you uh pay for all of your uh, training mm-hmm. and you went to the you, in pittsburgh you went to the university of pittsburgh right. but you had to meet a certain have a certain scholastic average and so i met that uh but get uh, going back uh, just going retracing yeah. ju- just a little bit they did not want to give me the academic course in high school in high school right. And my mother went to the school. She's got to go to college. Why don't you... Why can't she have the academic... Well, it's very difficult. Well, if these other kids can get it, she can get it too. But you don't have the money to send her to college. Well, you don't know my resources. And... um, well, you need to educate her for something that she can do because no one is going to hire her in any other, in any capacity, as far as uh, secretary or being a nurse. And uh, so you should, she should take a home economics course. My mother said, "No, no, no, no. <laughs> She's going to college." Well, she, she. Your mother was w- quite forceful. Oh, she was. <laughs> I've got a poem I'll, I wrote. I'll let you have it about her. And uh, she was quite forceful about it. And in that huge high school, I was the only colored in the academic course. And
0: Groundbreaking.
1: Yes, it was. And I enjoyed it. And, I'm, I, said, and I stayed on the honor roll. Uh, but uh, when it came time <clears throat> that they were picking the girls out to go uh, into nursing, and there were seven of us. And I was the second on the list, scholastically. All six were picked, and I wasn't. So my mother couldn't understand it, and I was heartbroken. Hmm. And so my mother went to see the principal. He said, we've tried in every school in Pennsylvania, no one will accept a colored girl in nursing. So therefore, that was the end of that. So I had to take jobs. I worked as a, a bus girl, Mm. and uh in a um well first i had a job in a 5 and 10 cent store it was in a in a in a, in a, in a little ghetto 5 and 10 cent store and um the um owner of the store said Evelyn i'm going to have to let you go i said why why i'm doing i'm doing all my work but you talk too much you talk to all the customers <laughs> i said i'm just trying to encourage them to buy oh no but I said, and my work is all done, look at my merchandise, it's all. He said, well, no, no, no. You, you, uh, you Elizabeth brought you here. She was my the, my girlfriend that, gave, that worked there and, and uh, told me about the job. So after he and I talked, he told me Elizabeth stays busy all the time. Just look at her over there. She's working. And so I went over and I said, Elizabeth, how do you do it? You keep busy, you're always doing something. She was folding up socks, right. and she had these piles of socks. And she said, uh, uh, he says, I don't keep busy. I said, you're, you're busy all the time, he says. And he's going to fire me because I'm, I, I'm not busy. How do you do it? And she took and she knocked out the socks. <laughs> 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 now she's I got just- something to do. <laughs> She said, "That's how oh, I do, do it." I... I said, "I'm not going to do yeah. that." I got fired.
0: But you—you you ended up going to the Freedman's Hospital uh, School of Nursing. Yes. Tell us about that. Where was that located? And and
1: in Washington D.C. D.C. And they had a cadet program. See, I would have been admitted free in in the University of Pittsburgh, and since no one would take me, uh, I'll just tell you about. These other two jobs that I had, because they lead to that, if it's all right, I had a job working at what they call Webster Hall, and that was like Beverly Hills Hotel here, and I was bus girl, and I fixed up all the sodas and all for um, uh, uh, for the waitresses. And it was quite an exclusive place. Joe DiMaggio came there and whatnot. And so I liked it because I got to eat all the banana splits I was making. <laughs> but I learned to carry those trays on my shoulder and then balance the other. And uh, so it was quite interesting. But one day I went in and the um, uh, the woman who was in charge said, Evelyn, don't put on that old big old dress anymore. I want you to... I'm short on the floor today. I need you as a waitress. So uh, uh, go in and put on one of the waitress uniforms. They had cute little uniforms, you know, uh, kind of teal blue with brown aprons and a little hat you wore on your head. Right. So I did, and I dressed uh, up, in the, and I was out there waiting tables because I'd observed them, and I was doing a good job. I knew, and I was collecting tips and, and fine, happy <laughs> And after two hours, she called me. She said, Evelyn, I got to take you off the floor. Otherwise, all the other waitresses are going to walk out. They refuse to work with you. So that was the end of that job. And because my mother would take me and pick me up when I was in the evening. And she said, well, you can't go back there anymore. So I got another job working for a big import uh, house where they uh, uh, imported fine china and crystalware. Uh, And I learned quite a bit about crystalware and how to test china and whatnot. And I liked, uh, liked that job. There were... Uh, glass cutters on the third floor, secretary on the second, and the showroom on the first floor. And the chauffeurs would drive up in their limousines with the limousines, and the very wealthy people would get out and come in and buy the cup. A cup would cost $500, and a saucer with it might be $1,000. Wow. And one day I went by the secretary's office, and she said uh, she was cursing, and this was unusual for her. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, I got I, I can't do all this work. And it's near Christmas. Year. I can't make it. I can't do all this. I said, well, maybe I can help you. So uh, she said, well, I need somebody that can type. She just knew I didn't know how to type. So I said, well, I can type. You can type. <laughs> okay, here, take these papers here. Uh, and she gave them to me. Type it for me. And uh, I typed them over. I sat in the corner at the typewriter, and I typed them. And I said, you can type. So, well, look, she gave me a whole batch of papers to take, and I typed them all. So that, that was, uh, uh, I did that for two days, and then the boss came in, and he said, Evelyn, you're doing a great job, and you don't wear that... Uh, I had a little maid's uniform with a little cap and a gray uniform and a duster and an apron. He says, you don't do that anymore. You don't put on, you wear your regular clothes, and you come in, and you're getting a raise, and you're the typist now. So I was so happy. I did it for five days, and after five days, he told me, I'm sorry, Evelyn. You cannot, I've got to take you off and put you back to the dusting I had a And he said, because all the other employees are going to walk out, it's near Christmas, so I lost that job. But four days later, my aunt, who was a nurse, had told me to apply to Howard and Meharry. She'd gone to Meharry, and they were the two top schools for for black nurses. And I had got it from both of them. I was admitted. And so that's how I that's uh, went to uh, uh, Howard University. At that time, it was Freedmen's Hospital. It's named after a, a, um, a Colonel Howard, who was a general in the Civil War, and uh, he was uh, a very prominent and uh, a quite a general. And uh, he, set, he uh, uh, set up the Freedmen's Bureau, and so that's how uni- Howard University was established, and they get appropriations from Congress, right. and they get it to this day, and that's how they've been more uh, successful and acad- uh, getting funds than uh, some of the other schools, although I understand Meher, Fisk University, and uh, there are a, a couple more that were set up, but Howard was the most prominent. But when I didn't get when I didn't um uh, get accepted uh, at um University of Pittsburgh and I finally ended up at Howard, it was uh serendipity because it was the most beautiful thing that had ever happened to me. I had never seen such scholars as I met there. I mean, here were these students coming from the University of Chicago. And they were brilliant, and they were like thirteen, fourteen years old already had a PhD. Oh my! And the chemistry professor that I had, I just wish that the the, the uh, doc professor who t- taught us in high school and some of the students could have been there to listen to him. He was just fantastic. Yeah. He he rattled those equations off, and you know, in, in college you can't raise your hand and say I don't understand you had to you had to um, I had to study before I went in the class and I had to study Study when I uh, came out in order and I was lucky I got a C (laughs) in the in the or uh, that was in the organic but uh, it it, it was meeting these uh, very these scholars and Dr. Charles Drew I have a uh, uh, picture of him in the living room there He was the uh, doctor who discovered how to take blood plasma out of blood. Nobody could get the blood plasma out, and he he got his money from Canada. They gave him the money to do this research, and he developed a method of taking the blood out of um, uh, taking the plasma out of the blood, and then. But once it was out. What are you gonna do with it? It spoils in two or three days. So then he worked and set up a method of preserving it. And that was they were able to save all those lives of soldiers in no man's land. Right. Uh, Because they would, they, they go through that barbed wire and they didn't have to type and cross match anything. Just stick that plasma in and save so many lives and it's still saving lives today.
0: Today. I'm curious if I can go back when you talk about all those experiences you had of being offered a position or being promoted and then back again, or being told they have to let you go because of discrimination, it must have taken an incredible determination on your part to just not give in and not give up and keep going.
1: well that wasn't even a that wasn't even a solution. What am I going to do? just i mean there, there, I had to go forward. And uh, God opens opportunities for you. Yeah. And so, uh, I did get a stomach ulcer, though. <laughs> <laughs> it disappeared just after I went, after I was admitted and went into school. Right, right. There was a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of turmoil to get there, but once you got there, everything started to click. Yes, uh-huh. yeah. and it, it, it was, it was a, a an experience that I needed. Although my My grandmother and grandfather had educated all my aunts, and they they lived a life they didn't live in poverty all exactly they didn't have a lot of money, but they lived a comfortable life, but they worked and um they were hard workers, and they were the go between uh, the uh, between the white community and the colored community. Uh, if someone was going to be lynched or whatnot, they'd come see my grandfather maybe. Uh, and uh, he, he would always, he, sometimes he told tales that he didn't know where they were. But uh, they, they, they were highly respected. And I think uh, my grandmother, when she passed away, uh, there were 100 cars in her funeral to take her from one town to the wow. other and the family cemetery buried her in the family cemetery but they were very highly respected and everybody was um uh it, 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 the way you talk i couldn't talk couldn't say ain't it. you'd better not say ain't <laughs> right. or uh you know uh, there's a language that black people have among themselves and uh but it was—we uh, were not allowed to use any broken language. Right. Uh, we had to speak good English. I couldn't even say tummy, <laughs> belly. <laughs> I better say what words were. And my grandmother was very particular about that, and my aunts were too. And and the way you carried yourself—you uh, you had to wear uh, uh, a hat to church, and. Um, I wore gloves. Once I took my gloves off, and I just yanked my gloves off my hands. And my my aunt saw me. She says, "Oh my gosh, I, a, a lady doesn't take her her gloves off. You take one finger at it." And she showed me fingers. They were very particular about things like that. The way you walked, uh, the and the way and. Um, and yeah, you, you the way were, you moved your feet, you didn't throw your feet east and west. Right. <laughs> uh, there, there were so many cultural um, uh, situations. Yeah. And, and, and you, we had dinner at, 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 in the dining room with my grandfather, you know. And uh, he, was, the, the, he was very highly respected. It, it was yes, ma'am, no ma'am, no sir. Uh, and uh, children, you sat at the table, but you didn't speak. But you had to say a verse beforehand. And I was small, and I didn't remember one. Just say Jesus swept my. They taught me to say. Right. But and you never spoke unless you were asked to speak, and you did not dare leave that table unless you said, "May I be excused?" Uh, they had. They were very steeped in manners. Yeah.
0: Manners and how you carried yourself physically mm-hmm. and verbally mm-hmm. and vocally and just with your presence. It
1: sounds like, and I think that so much of that is not known today. I mean, there are people that still adhere to it, but they are not the ones that are given that are um, brought before the public, and that's why I write to to sh- to show that they and everybody people. all black people are not. Uh, in the ghetto, and even some that are there, they still have these values. Right. But these are never brought out. And the writing, if you want to write about the prostitutes and you want to write about uh, the uh, some of the deplorable situations that are brought on the people because of the way they live, if you want to write about that, it's, it's acceptable. But if you write about uh, the other... Um, uh, well what would you, what would you say uh, more cultured uh, it's not, uh, nobody wants to read it right. I would think they do want to read it they will want to read it
0: well certainly I know I've read some of your work and, and the quality of the writing is extraordinary and the vividness of the images that you use drawn seemingly from your own experience it's, uh, it's quite remarkable
1: Well, thank you. Uh, I didn't get to uh, finish that about... Uh, I didn't finish that about uh, Dr. Drew. And... uh, Please go ahead. uh, And it was such a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, It was such a pleasure to work with him. Uh, He... he, When I was in nurse's training. And... um, because he was such a a brilliant man, and he had uh, he used to have uh, uh, patients that would come from Norway, from Sweden, for him to do surgery. Just, uh. I'm going to drink a little of this. So, and, um, uh. and then he would have they had the you know the big operating room. Uh, then we, you had to take three mini, three months, and work in uh, each area. And so I enjoyed working in me- most all of them. Right. But I remember him so well from the operating room. And I can remember when I went there, I said, my gosh, they had big vats of instruments. And the they're, they're women, you know, they're, 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 they had... We're used to working there, the nurses. And they could push those vats around, and and somebody wants this. They knew just where to go and whatnot. And that's one thing they taught us. Whenever you move anything or you use it, you be sure and put it back because it means somebody's life if they go there, and it's not in that particular spot. So you learn to put put things back where you got them, where you obtained them. (laughs) But... um, it. I looked at them, and I the the head nurse her overheard me. I said, "I'll never learn all these instruments. <laughs> they all looked alike." She says, "Oh, you'll learn them because you're going to be cleaning them for two weeks." So we that was the first thing we did. We had to clean, clean all those insurance. instruments sure. for two weeks, and then I, it was time for me to be in uh, to go into the operating room, and the big operating room. <laughs> um, and uh they had uh, Dr. Drew was and he was the former surgeon. They he uh trained the um uh, uh first colored surgeons. And uh so uh after he came back from he went to he went to school in Miguel in Canada. Mm-hmm. And so it seems that he didn't have something, a course that he needed, and he didn't get accepted at Howard. So he applied to McGill in Canada, but he comes back to Howard and gave all of this to the university. But I know I I, I was... uh, went into the operating room, I said, well, I looked on the schedule. I said, oh, my gosh, you've got me scheduled in here with Dr. Drew? Oh, I could have fainted. <laughs> and here you go in this big operating room, and you've got these, uh, uh, everything was white, you know, tiled in. And up above sat the, stu- the medical students, and they looked down on the site. And then on the floor, you have the residents and the ones that he was teaching, the interns. And then they had always had two or three doctors from the Pentagon because doctor, they loved to come and watch him do surgery. And he, he was always able to get money for the school. Uh, they would give him money and whatnot. But I, uh, I was a, you start out as a suture nurse, so you start by learning... Uh, the different sutures, and they're up in capsules, and the different cat gut. They call, you know, some of that's uh, some of the uh, what they use for suturing, and black silk, and whatnot. And there are different needle holders that you have to use. However, a uh, nurse that's seasoned, she can handle both being the instrument nurse, which the instrument nurse hands ner- hands uh, um, the the um, instruments to uh, the surgeon when he puts his hand out, and she has to know uh, what he's doing, what kind of surgery he's doing, because uh, she don't want to hand him the wrong instrument because they look alike, right. but some of them have little teeth in them, and if he, she hands him the wrong one, he might puncture uh, the gut, they call it the gut, the intestine, right. So she has to, and she has to know what path he's taking, and she has to be able to recognize when there's something going wrong in there, and he needs uh, it, it's an emergency, and what to different hand tool. him, and uh, the 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 proper uh, the different uh, clamps they have. Some are curved, and some are straight. But at any rate, I'm you got quite an need- I started off as the, uh, you start off as a student as the suture nurse. So I broke up all the ampules, and I had the white, the bl- black silk, and had my needle holders, and I had everything all right. And but I will shake a little when I get nervous. <laughs> and, uh, and all those people watching you, all these the medical people, students, and yeah, the Pentagon and, doctors, yeah, right? Uh, and oh, that was. And uh, so I heard Doctor Drew say who is that little nurse down there shaking? I said, oh, my gosh, she's talking about me. <laughs> so I didn't say, naturally, I didn't say anything. Nobody said anything. But a few minutes later, he said, bring her, uh, uh, get her up here beside me. Well, you know, you have to be very careful. They have a circulating nurse. She's the third nurse. You, know, you have the, uh, the, the, op, the surgical nurse, the suture nurse, and the circulating nurse, and she's on the outside. And uh, so she helped, got, came and she grabbed me from the back and nodded and directed me up there. And I ended up right next to Dr. Drew. And he said, look, there's nothing to be nervous about here. I'm just doing a simple venous ligation. And he explained everything to me just as if I were from the Pentagon <laughs> or I was an intern. Wow. And I was so uh, put at ease and I felt comfortable. And after that, whenever it came time for my name to be up on the schedule, put me with Dr. <laughs> Drew. <laughs> <laughs> but he was uh, just a very fine man. He had a family and, and a very uh, uh, d- a devoted wife and he was a a a, 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 um, He's a uh, pioneer really he had, and, and he, he he trained these um residents he would uh, they were the, I know, the first three that he trained uh, uh, and he was very um excited about it. And uh, he, was, uh, he, he made quite an impression, I would say that. He was a, a, a handsome-looking man, uh, very professional. And he wore his long coat, and his, and his shoes were always spark-shined. Uh, to the, he had his tie on, always just right to the minute. And he was friendly to everybody. Good morning. He knew everybody's name, you know. And if you, anybody went to his—those uh, that went to his office— uh, if the if the maid was there, she got had her turn. Maybe a, a doctor was there; he didn't have to wait. But everybody had to take their turn. And uh, he had didn't have a vain body and a vain bone in his body. Uh, he was very cordial, nice to everyone, uh, very professional, and uh, so um, uh, he was. Uh, it, it was just a pleasure to be around yeah. him. And um, so, so
0: you're 92 years old now.
1: I'm 92.
0: And you've been nursing for how long? 75
1: years. 75
0: years. And you're still active as a nurse today. Yes. And you get a chance to teach others. Yes. Can I'm, you tell us a little about that?
1: Well, I enjoy it, uh, and and your wife is responsible for that. <laughs> Because um, uh, when I was working with her, uh, there came in this need for um, uh, someone to precept the nurses from Mount Saint Mary, mm-hmm. and she gave me that assignment. what do you feel about it, Evelyn? You want to? I said, okay. <laughs> and uh, it's such. It was such a pleasure because uh, I feel that in teaching nurses, and maybe with every, uh, uh, t- it was all. Uh, whenever you teach, you don't say you don't. You do this, you do that, and you don't. It all it doesn't always stick. But if you can tell them an example of what will happen through your experience, if they don't follow the rules, or if they don't do like I had mentioned just before, right. someone going to find something and they had not put it back in the right place, and you're responsible if it's uh, for not putting it back. You might endanger a life. Right. So you're, uh, uh, when you t- explain things to them like that, it's like medications, uh, the rule is you pour it, you give it. And I give them examples of cases where the, you didn't do that and how I once almost didn't follow it. And the reason I'm a nurse today is because at the last minute I caught myself, friendship doesn't matter. Or a friend helping you. Yeah. Um,
0: and, the, uh, and Mount St. Mary's recently honored you, I understand.
1: Yes, they did. And uh, the, I enjoy their nurses because they're all such l- ladies. Yeah, You know, when I came in nursing, you, you had, wore a cap. And that cap stood for dignity. It stood for—it it, 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 it was something that you uh, honored. That, that was—you uh, had on your dresser your cap and your Bible. And they were two uh, items, well, you, there, there were two that you uh, gave so much um, reverence to uh, because uh, the, I've known nurses to get upset and they would be uh, graduate nurses because, you know, student nurses you couldn't right. do, uh, had, there was nothing you could do, but they would get very upset and they would go in the locker room and take off that cap and curse like a sailor, <laughs> put the cap back it's on and it come out of their angel. <laughs> it, 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 you didn't dare do anything to disrespect that cap. That's right, in and, public especially. Yes, <laughs> and, it was, uh, uh, and you had a certain demeanor that you uh, 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 revered Right. And you wanted to carry that on. We didn't call each other by first names because we wanted there was that respect, respect was yes. all as things have changed a great deal. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I so, wanted to tell you this. I meant uh, I uh, sort of slipped over how Dr. Drew taught these first uh, uh, colored re- uh, residents. and uh, he had picked them out and uh, he taught them in, uh, in surgery. And they uh, so they could and they would be board certified after they took the examination, and uh, when they, the day came for the examination, the three went to take the exam, and he was on pins and needles, and his wife said that he just couldn't rest, and uh, uh, he was so uh, really upset about him, and then he got a telephone call, and said. Uh, the 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 caller said, uh Dr. Drew we want to, you to know that one of your boys came in second, the second highest grade. And he said, Oh, you know, thank God for that. And the the other one came in first. <laughs> <laughs> so he was really he was he was quite a teacher. I know that we had a a, a um Neurologist that taught us uh, chemical uh, uh, chemistry of the body, and there were twenty-four girls in our class. Every one of us failed that course, and Doctor Drew heard about it, and he said, "This is impossible. They couldn't be here if they didn't have some intelligence. They have to know. How did this happen?" and uh he said i'm teaching they got to take it over i'm i'm teaching the class everybody he, passed yeah, that class he made sure of that what happened he, you know everyone is not a teacher they might be a skilled surgeon but they're not a teacher and he did not use words that we didn't understand he didn't go into uh, uh you can you can go very deeply into medicine and and here we are students and we didn't know the terminology And he's explaining something with words that we don't understand. That's what the doctor did before. So uh, we were just confused. And you didn't know, but when Dr. Drew taught it, he said, if anything you don't understand, you just raise your hand, and I will explain it to you. And you can understand anything. If someone else understands it, and you've got a degree of intelligence, if it's put to you in in the proper manner, you can understand it. So So he was quite a teacher.
0: Sounds like an extraordinary man. You had a wonderful opportunity. How many years did you get a chance to work with him?
1: Oh, just three months. Three months. <laughs> but I also did um, I, when I went to uh, h- after I finished Howard. Uh, well, it was Freedman's Hospital. At that time, you were a um, diploma nurse. They didn't ha- you you didn't get a, um, a uh, college degree, but uh we had to take uh national boards in washington dc you had to take national boards you didn't take state boards because it was a district but we i remember um that we were taught very um segreg- very um what would you say uh, br- uh, not briefly but uh we were taught in um fashion that uh, it was quick, but we had to understand, and there were things that we had to know. Said so when you leave here, because it was um, everything was segregated. I never, I never ha- did anything for a white patient the whole three years that I was there, and then after I left, it was just the opposite. <laughs> wow. But uh, we were taught that when you finish here, you're going to get jobs where some days they're going to go through everything that you did all day long and how you deal with that and how you have to be very careful with what you do but uh, I remember that we took the boards with the nurses from George Washington University and from Georgetown University and I'm not bragging but I made the second highest grade in the district (laughs) and they put it in a newspaper so there's a record of it (laughs) Uh, but after I finished, I could only work at Freedman's Hospital, Now I went home to Pittsburgh, my where you know I hadn't been before. I was not accepted in school; nobody would hire me. I couldn't get a job there at all, and so um, only one place, and that was in the TB sanitarium, tuberculosis, and I had. Um, I had done that work before. I didn't want to make it my life's work, right. professional work, tuberculosis. So I, um, they all said, if we hire you, all the uh, white nurses are going to quit, and even the Veterans Administration. And so I finally uh, went uh, to North Carolina um, and. Um, it to show if where my aunt was the director of nurses at a hospital, and she was also the hospital administrator. And I had quite, a, quite an experience there. It was the colored hospital. But right. we worked like we were, uh, you would, I worked in the operating room. She said, come here because I need an uh, OR nurse. And so I worked in the operating room, and it was one of those things like you were in out on uh, the war. <laughs> you were right. out in, in battle. In battlefield. Because you would uh, have emergencies at night, but then uh, surgeries were scheduled for uh, uh, seven o'clock or eight o'clock in the morning. So when you finished, there wasn't any time to get any sleep, and then that surgery might take you up uh, all day long. And there were only two of us that worked in there in the operating room. Uh, But then when you weren't in the operating room, like on weekends when they were closed, then you had to do work on the floor. You worked in, like the delivery room nurses. You had to help deliver the babies, and there was no intern in the hospital. Uh, It it was a big mansion, and it had been converted over to the colored hospital. And when when, uh, colored patients came there, they were in, we'll say, bad shape because they feared going to the hospital because that's where you went to die. Right. And uh, so uh, uh, there were women that would come in had never had any prenatal care and they had developed eclampsia and they couldn't close their mouths because their tongues had been bitten so in seizures that um, uh, they were ter- their t- tongues were sometimes black and they would be unconscious. Uh, they were, uh, it was really, um, it was like being out on the, on the front.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a really extraordinary. Yes, and it
1: was, but it was a, a great experience. And I can remember, I, I worked in the emergency room like on Sundays. And uh, the, the nurse there, she reminded me of Della Reese. Uh-huh. It was a sun porch and they made it into an operating mm-hmm. uh, I mean to the emergency room. And uh, although it was segregated, if a white person were in trouble, they came there rather than to not get any treatment at all. And uh, I can remember there were many lives saved there, although we didn't have an intern in the hospital. We had to to call for a doctor to come in and even to deliver the babies. And when they got there, the nurse had usually delivered the baby But I remember when I went to work in that emergency room, the Reese, I (laughs) she talked. She said, "Oh, honey, you gonna be working with me?" (laughs) And I said, "Oh, yes, you know. um, Now, uh, uh, what do you uh, do? You know how to suture?" Well, I hesitated because there were medical students when I went to school, and we never had to suture. But I watched many, you know. And I knew about the the, the uh, type of what you what you would use right. and instruments. Instruments. And uh, so I said, "I has well, that's all right. I didn't even have to say no." She said, "That's all right. Uh, uh, you 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 learn." Well, she did all the suturing in there, and she taught me. And she would uh, uh, pack stuff on it. Never an infection. Uh, and uh, she was just amazing but she was a uh, 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 grassroots <laughs> if you listened to her you wouldn't think you, you would say well she doesn't know that much right. but that was an an amazing woman
0: yeah. a lot of life experience
1: <laughs> yes and she uh, she knew she knew medicine yeah. and she uh, and i remember once there was a man that came in he was white and these, he was a plumber and uh, he had been working in the, uh, with a toilet uh, in an apartment building that was near there. And this was a, a neighborhood where they had quite a few mansions. And he had put, you know how they use lie? Mm-hmm. And it had backfired up into his eyes. And so two of his buddies brought him in and he was yelling, do something, do something, my eyes, you know. And I was the only one in there at the time. And so I had it laid him down, I had him lay down on the on the on the examining table, and uh, I took and I had uh, water there, and distilled water and uh, and and uh, vials, and I said just pour this over his eyes and then i said i'll be right back well they wonder what in the world is she going away from here running leaving leaving us i said you know uh but i knew there was no time to waste i didn't have time to explain so i went right to the kitchen and i asked the cook i said give me your bottle of vinegar well in school and in chemistry that's why this is all so important i knew that uh, uh, that vinegar is acetic acid, and that the, the, you mix the two. And you uh, if he's been had his eyes with uh, lye, then you're going to have to put uh, uh, vinegar, which is acetic acid, right. in it to, uh, it to to neutralize it. And so that's why I went running to the kitchen. And the kitchen, he gave me his vinegar. And I took it back and poured it in the water, and they were in the meantime with the Mises basins and all pouring water all over uh, his eyes. And um, so then I poured that, uh, that vinegar mixed in the water over his eyes, and that neutralized it, and he calmed down. And the doctor said that saved his eyesight. So there are things like that that we had yeah. to do, and that's why I tell students, listen to everything, and you lock these things up in your brain, and you may not use it, but when the day comes that you need it, you just pull it out. Now, you might forget it after that, once it's been used, <laughs> but you, 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 But I don't know. I, you, you remember those things, you remember things, because you know that that's all very important.
0: Wow, Evelyn, this has just been extraordinary. I, I just hope we have a little more time here. Yeah. I I don't want to uh, finish up without talking about Ray.
1: Yes. Oh, I want to tell you about the Tuskegee Airmen. Yes. And how they saved World War II.
0: Yes. We got a few more minutes here. Tell us about that. Okay. And, and also, you know, because you because you were you were uh, you lived through the Depression and World War II and the whole Civil Rights struggle. And just how that ties in with the Tuskegee Airmen and, and how you met Ray. and Tell okay. us about that.
1: Well, when uh, we went to, when I went to Howard, uh, everybody was black. Well, I never saw so many handsome black men and handsome men <laughs> before. I said, oh, I know I'm going to find a husband here. <laughs> but at any rate, uh, oh, they warned you against that too. They, uh, are, because nursing was very strict and you could not marry and then the nursing supervisors watched you very closely and if you were dating someone and they hadn't said that they were married and they knew they were or uh, uh they had a reputation they would they would they would talk to him or they would tell you and they everything was very personal you had to uh they took your life at person you were uh, um you yeah, well we were uh yeah i was 17 but i turned 18 when i after i was there for uh went in in December and I was turned 18 in January but um I uh, Ray uh was in the ROTC and I can remember uh I lived in the nurses in the nurses home and you you see people, but you 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 can't approach them. And he was in an, an ROTC, and I saw him when I was telling my roommate Betty. I said, "You ought to see that handsome guy that just went by my window." <laughs> <laughs> of course, you can't say anything right. because there's steel all on the windows and and whatnot. But I never never, uh, but uh, <laughs> I never saw him again. And then in the meantime, he had, being in ROTC. Uh, he had gone to Tuskegee. And the way he got there was that it was during the war and uh, uh, he, they took him out of ROTC and, and put him in the service. And uh, Ray was um, light tan and they mistook him for not being colored mm. and they put him in uh, the regular. And, uh, and he said, no, he said, I don't belong here. And uh, you got me in the wrong, wrong unit. <laughs> and so he wanted to, you know, um, uh, to be with his fellows down a little further. And some of them knew him. And they went back to Rhode Island. Told his father, says, "You know, Ray's down there passing." <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, he told them that he wanted to move, but they, they didn't move him at all. I mean, didn't didn't move him. And so then he went to. Um, uh, uh, he kept after them, and then they moved him over to. Uh, uh, finally, moved him, but the next day. Because the uh, commanding officer said, you better stay here because you're going to get a better break here. But when they did move him, after he kept uh, uh, asking, they moved him. And when they, when they moved him, um, the next day they moved all of them. But the white fellows all went back. The unit he had been they all went back and could finish college or go. And the government paid for whatever it was that they wanted to study. But the black ones all went to Fort Benning, Georgia. just uh, Benning, Georgia, and they found out there that Ray was quite adept in radio, and um, uh, he uh, knew about uh, radio. And uh, so, uh, at any rate, they sh- shipped him uh, to Walla Walla, Washington, <laughs> and he was working on the planes there. His job was to work on planes. And to uh, the radios, and to be valet to a white pilot, and so he and the uh, white pilot got to be friends. And the fellow said, "I don't understand why it is you're here polishing my shoes and 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 uh, getting my uniforms ready, and uh, you you want to be a pilot, don't you?" And yeah, well, what what's 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 the matter? Uh, why aren't you uh, in pilot uh, training? You ought to go. He said, there's no place to go. They did Tuskegee, but you can't. That's very difficult to get in there. And so he said, well, look, you take the test. So and he told him where to go get the test, and Ray went over and he, but they never had the test. So uh, the uh, finally the I don't know what the other fellow's name was, but he interceded for him and he got the test. And the black fellows told him uh, that uh, he they said, "Man, you're just wasting your time. You never will pass that test." They, you. But Ray took the test and he made the highest grade that they had had in such a long time, they put it in the Walla Walla newspaper (laughs) and then they shipped him off to Tuskegee. But I wanted to tell you how Tuskegee got started uh, started was that Mrs. Mary McLeod Bethune. I don't know if you've ever heard of her, but she was quite an educator, a black woman. In fact, she was my patient one time at at Howard when I was in nursing. And uh, she was a woman that she was, who does she look like? Uh, she was a, a dark brown-skinned woman. Uh, you wouldn't think that, uh, I mean, according to, she looked uh, uh, to standards to uh, when I was growing up in the north. In the south, it wouldn't have been that way. But she didn't, uh, she wasn't impressive looking, but she was a whiz and uh, very uh, cultured. And when I went in her room, when I was taking care of her, right away, I knew I was in the presence of someone, uh, a a very um, uh, uh, special person. The way she uh, accented her words and her demeanor. And I still have a little paper because I didn't want to ask her for her autograph. (laughs) Uh, uh, I didn't want to ask her for... Picture or something like that, but uh, she gave me her autograph, and uh, but uh, and that was quite an honor to have been in the presence of Mrs. Bethune and to have been her nurse. But uh, she was very friendly with Mrs. Roosevelt. And she went in the front door and the back door. And I think she told Mrs. Roosevelt about, or she would have known through her, about Tuskegee. Because that's where a lot of colored young fellas were learning to fly planes. Mm -hmm. They weren't in the Army. But she went down there. And from what I've heard... Uh, you know you you, you you I wouldn't dare I've dared gotten gone up in the plane with them But well, she went in the pl- up in the plane with one and when she came back she said, "Oh she said this is a disgrace these men should be fighting for their country they need to be taken in the army She goes back and she tells her hus- her husband uh, uh, you know the president, president. and uh, you need to take these fellows in and train them and let them fight for their country and they said uh, he had 18 generals. He had to take it before those 18 generals, and the generals all said no, and they voted no, and the three reasons they said no was, number one, is that they didn't have the intelligence to master the uh, equipment necessary to fly the f- fighter planes and, and all, or any plane, and number two, that uh, they had no dexterity. And you know, they hadn't seen a basketball game or whatever, <laughs> and then everything was segregated. And three, that basically they were cowards and they would deflect under pressure. So, of course, she's his wife, and he took those men in <laughs> after <laughs> her... <laughs> she he, he took those those uh, took them in, and uh, they had a general DOGO. B.O. Davis, he was the first general, black general in the Army. And then it was his uh, son that went to West Point. And uh, while he was there, he was there four years. Nobody spoke to him. They wrote to him. or what were they? I've had that experience, too, being the first colored nurse in a hospital. Nobody spoke to me. They wrote it. They, that's what they would do. But um, I, I, th- that's for another time. Yeah. But at any rate, uh, he, uh he, when he finished West Point, uh, uh, he was available, and he was very a brilliant uh, man. Very uh, did quite a bit in the army. This was his son. But when those black fellows finished uh, training at Tuskegee, they sent them. They didn't send them into the European theater. They sent them to. Uh, mostly to the Sahara Desert, and they flew or flying aimlessly over there, strifing trains and whatnot. Then they began to lose the war in Germany, and not in Germany, but in the European theater. And Hitler was oh, he was ecstatic because he knew he had he was in charge of the world, and <clears throat> so they, um. Uh, uh, began losing. They lost so many pilots. They lost planes. And they needed to get these bombers. And they needed to get these bombers through to bomb the these strategic points where they were making planes, making ammunition. And this was not happening. And so um, somebody said, let's use those fellows over there in the Sahara Desert. Oh, we'll lose for sure then. So they said no. But... Then they decided to use them, so they took the general b o Davis that had finished West Point, and he was their commander and He told them he said, "Don't you ever break formation?" he said because they had been uh, if they attack you 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 just stay with that bomber and, and so many of them died or were killed, they were uh, uh, rescued by the germans uh, and but they said when they went to, uh, but at any rate, <clears throat> they provided security for those for those bomb plan- those bombardiers, right? They, uh, they they transported those bombers, and um, the uh, it, it turned the war around. They got them through, so that <clears throat> they could um, bomb those st- strategic points. And the the white fellows that were uh, flying the bombers didn't know they were colored. Because they couldn't see their faces with all the equipment, they just knew that they had their their the the tails of their planes were red, and they said they they, so the fellows flying the bombers said, uh, you know, uh, we're not going to fly if we don't have the red tails protecting us, and they got them through, and that turned the war around. Hitler had told them. Don't uh, uh, get within so many feet of those fellas, because they'll s- s- they'll shoot you down. But uh, they uh, they stuck with those planes, yeah. and uh, they said that some of them were in the trees, and the uh, the Germans pulled them out of the trees. And they said that when they went to the hospital, they were surprised because they were so they treated them so royally. They saluted them when they came in their room because the Germans have a, a great deal of respect for the military. Right. They didn't see the color. They didn't see the color. And uh, so, but then when they came back here, no ticker tape parades. No. And so so many people have never heard, but they turned that war right. around.
0: I remember we were at a luncheon once uh, honoring Ray, and I was talking with him, and he was telling me about the Red Tails. Right, just that was the that was the marking that distinguished them. Mm-hmm. How proud he was of that service.
1: But when they came back here, they wouldn't even let them fly freight. Yeah, uh, they couldn't. Uh, they they could. There was no jobs in the air in the airlines for them, and and it's only been recently, you know, in the last well, I guess fifteen uh, uh, last twenty years that you they started hiring. Wow, but I, uh, Ray was, Ray uh,
0: became an attorney,
1: yes, uh, when we married, he wasn't an attorney. <laughs> he'd come he had finished he came back. I met him at Howard. He was finishing up the uh, what the classes he needed for graduation. And uh, I met him then. I lived in a, um, a, a dormitory. I was finished school then, but I was working at the hospital. Mm-hmm. For a short period before I went away uh, uh, t- back home, and he ca- uh, he came back, and uh, we uh, I, he he was coming. It was a, a government dormitory. They had uh, government workers working there and graduate students. But he was coming to see another girl or another Ooh. another other girls. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, and but I uh, and, and I remember having seen him that time as a, when he was in the ROTC, right. and so but it, at that time women didn't speak to men. You did you didn't you didn't push anything, you didn't say you were very demure, and you you you, you didn't dare call a fella up on the telephone, You didn't know his number. I mean you could, uh, that was something you just never did. So we ne- he never didn't say anything particularly, but we looked at each other a lot. I can remember once we were sitting in the uh, the, the, uh, in the large area that was a living room. For the air, and he was with another girl, and I was talking to a fella, and both of them began to wonder if, what we were looking over them. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, and so, but we never said anything. And one day, we uh, on our pediatrics, I worked on pediatrics, and we had a lot of border babies, and we had this little boy that, and uh, we nurses would adopt a, a, a child like, and he would call, got to call, he was like, uh, 18 months old, and he got the. He was in the hospital a long time because he had a, 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 a an infection in his arm that they couldn't clear, and his mother dropped him there, and he was a border because nobody knew whatever happened to her, and they just dropped uh, the babies. They were just dropped there, and so he was about 18 months old, and he got to call me mommy, and I would go even on my days off over to um, uh, to see him. That reminds me of something else too. <laughs> <The> <laughs> fellow that I met, a patient, <laughs> died in my arms. Oh my. First, pay, uh, and uh, he, he had he had rheumatic fever. When I said I went to, over to see uh, 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 little Ralph, I used to go to see this fellow on my day off too. But uh, but anyway, Ralphie, uh, I uh, decided uh, Snow White and Seven Dwarfs had just come out. And I wanted to take him to see it. So I asked the hospital administrator, and he said, well, he was older than 18 months old. He was like two two years old because he was able to go to see that movie. Mm-hmm. And I bought him a little suit and whatnot, And I took him uh, to see the movie. And then after the movie, he liked the movie, you know. And after the movie, I took him around the corner to a restaurant. It was called Key's Restaurant. And a lot of uh, students went in there. And while I'm sitting there with him, Ray comes up. And he comes in with another girl and a fella. And I recognize him. He didn't sit down. He came straight to where I was sitting. And they had these booths that had high back on them, you know, you couldn't see, right. you couldn't see over right. them. And uh, so um, uh, he came over and he said, hello. He said, you know, I've seen you before. And, what is your name? <laughs> and that's how we uh, I began talking. Yeah. And then I found out and then uh, he found out I was, he asked me, was uh, little Ralph my <laughs> child. I told him there was a, a patient from the hospital. And he said, oh, you were at the hospital? And I told him I was a nurse. Well, my brother teaches there. Well, his brother was a physician. And his brother uh, taught uh, us a course in allergy. He was an, He was an allergy specialist. And so we had a common ground there. And uh, so then he asked me for my telephone number. Mm-hmm. And I said, the girl next door kind of raised up and looked over <laughs> around the corner. I said, I think your, uh, your, your company there is a, a, a little concerned. <laughs> oh, she's not with me. She's with the other fellow. I never believed him. <laughs> but, uh, but at any rate, um, uh, uh, he, I didn't hear from him for about a week. And then he called me up on a weekend, and he asked me, if we didn't travel in cars then. Nobody had a car. Right. You had to ride the bus. And he wanted to take me to dinner. But the first place he took me was to his brother's house. We caught the, the bus, and we went uh, uh, over to his brother's house, and I met them and uh, so he must have thought something because it's, uh, well, you didn't usually take people to meet your your, your only relatives on uh, they <laughs> were <only> <laughs> on the first date uh and uh then uh, uh he just uh, he he finished and then he went to um uh rochester new york uh we became engaged but he went to rochester new york uh, uh found out that he he was always interested in doing more and uh, getting more education, and he wanted his brother told him that they needed a medical laboratory, and uh, he should go away and he should take the training so he could open a laboratory, and so he looked around for various places, and the only place that he could find was that he would like to go was in Rochester, New York, and they had a two year course. Which was a little um, more than you know what they usually give a six. Right. That way he could manage a, a laboratory, and so he went there, and um, and then we were married there. In Rochester, while he was there, because he's gone, and I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and and he he was uh, he was uh, thinking about me being there with all these other. Uh uh, uh uh detractions <laughs> and i'm the same thing thinking about right. him so then once he said uh, uh he said to me how much money do you have i said i got $500 i said how much do you have he said $500 we're not, not going to have any more right. so we uh, so we got we were engaged and and we, when we got married we had $1000 <laughs> And uh, then um, I, uh, I, Raymond was born in New York in, there and he, he finished and then we went back to Washington and uh, he set up the laboratory. Uh, well, he went to Howard and worked in their laboratory, but then he went to the National Institutes of Health and they hired him there and he was in charge of their uh, hematology laboratory mm-hmm. there but uh he had always been interested in law, and that was what he what he really wanted to do and uh, so um, uh, he uh, he decided that he, the laboratory business it looked like it wasn't satisfied it was he liked it but it wasn't what he really wanted to do he had no way to uh, to correct the problems that he saw as far as discrimination were concerned and he was like me he had ex- he hadn't experienced it in Rhode Island uh, 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 he didn't know anything he had never been really discriminated against and so uh, he uh, he didn't realize he was being discriminated. Yeah. His father was a type of person that was into everything. And he the first uh, frozen orange juice franchise in in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, in Rhode Island. Yeah. Uh, and he did many, many. His father did many things. He had a, a lot of clean cleaning establishments. Ray's father, mother died when he was uh, before he was a year old, and the father had all these businesses, and um, but he had the five children, and uh, he was able to to raise them and keep them together, and uh, uh, he was interested in their getting an education. And Ray, he'd bring home that Pittsburgh Courier. That's where you learn first about. Uh, well, that's where you read about discrimination. Yeah. And he saw the lynchings on the front, front page, and, wow. and the same as I did. And uh, so he decided he wanted to do something about that. So that was why he uh, went on to, uh, he wanted to go to law, law school. school. So he had uh, applied to George Washington University. And he went there. He was accepted uh, for and the the second day he was there. The dean called him in, and he said, Are you colored? And Ray said, Yes. He said, Well, uh, because we see all this of Howard University on your transcript, and uh, it wasn't really noticeable before, but we can't keep you here. This will have to be your last day. And he said, It's not me. But we have an endowments from uh, so many uh, many who have, we had to promise that it would be, never be used for the education of a, um, a colored student. So that was the end of that. So, and the reason he applied there, because it was close to where we lived. Right. Wow. So then he went on to, uh, uh, he applied to law school the next year at Howard and he was accepted. And um, so he said, "Do you mind if I go on to law, law school?" Well, we had one children, one child then, and I was pregnant with the second. <laughs> but we always believed in bri- buy, and we always believed in buying property. So we had house notes to pay. So he says, "Do you uh, do you how how do you feel about that?" I said, "You better go on to school." <laughs> <laughs> so he. Um, uh, and and he uh uh was a good student, and he went uh, uh, he'd used up his g i bill, but he went on uh he worked as a laboratory technologist and uh, so when school was over, he went right to uh, work in the lab, and he also uh, receives a lot of scholarships, and this, they thought quite a bit of him at the school. So he had no uh, uh, financial, and I worked uh, at George Washington University Hospital and um, uh, uh, a hospital at Garfield. Uh, I went there because it was right, I didn't stay there very, well, I did stay there a little while. But it was, uh, they had never hired a colored nurse before, and it was two blocks from our house. And I remember going in and telling the director nurses, well, you know, it, 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 the, war, uh, uh, the war was um, over at that time. Yeah, the war was over. Okay, so I said, but you need nurses. And she read my transcripts and all. She said, well, you know, I'm going to give you a chance. And if you do a good job, I will hire another. And so she gave me a, uh, another wow. colored nurse. So she gave me a job. But I worked there. And then I worked at, at uh, uh, between the two there at Howard, and uh, we did well. We were able to have a car, and then when he graduated, uh, we decided to come here to California because, uh, I, I, although I had two children, I was not a, not uh, uncomfortable with children because I had worked in the nursery, premature nursery. I'd worked in the uh, pediatrics. And so children were just, uh, second nature to me. So I didn't mind picking up with, uh, uh, one, uh, very young one and, and, uh, uh, I think Raymond was five and moving to California. I was excited. Well, when we're first, I said, where are we going? He said, I'm go- you're going to, um, I think we'll go to, uh, California. I said, what about Florida? And he said, no, he said, I think you'd like it better. He had been here and gone to UCLA for a while, and he was working as a janitor. He was working as a janitor in this uh, big office building downtown, and there was a a white man that was the head janitor, and he recognized that Ray had various talents uh, academically, and he said, you know what, if you don't go back to school, I'm going to fire you. (laughs) So that's what helped him, too, to go that's back. Funny. And so he, um, but, uh, and I was willing to go anywhere. To me, life was just exciting. Let's right. go. Uh, uh, and
0: you ra- you raised three kids here in California.
1: Yeah, so we came here, and um, Ray worked, uh, uh, we came, uh, found living arrangements through our church, in Washington, the ministers knew one another. Right. And they, when we came, they had a place ready for us to live, and uh, but it was just temporary. And uh, naturally, I'm thinking about, it. you gotta buy a house. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, it, 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 we did all right, but Ray was very interested in eliminating segregation because uh, the black doctors here, were not accepted in any of the major hospitals—Good Samaritan, uh, Cedars, <clears throat> Presbyterian—none of them. Uh, he, they were would not hire, and there was absolutely nothing such as a nursing administrator in those hospitals. And uh, uh, so he was active with the NAACP. So. Um, working with the NAACP he was a vice president he was able to get staff and they did research he had them do research as to every hospital uh uh here and and until he passed the bar he was working uh he worked at cedars as a medical technologist but um he uh, had the people with the NAACP, that's where he got the staff, to do this research. And they took all the major hospitals. How many black doctors do you have? How many black nurses? Uh, so on. And, uh, uh, and he made a, a list of all of them. And uh, uh, then they, he was on television. And uh, one of those, uh, Bill Stout, you ever hear of him? Yeah. He was quite a uh, uh, the newscaster then, and he had Ray come on, and he gave over his um, uh, 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 the the summary of uh, his um, investigation, and so that was very impressive, and a lot of uh, hospitals they didn't know about this. I mean, just the general public didn't know. Right. Uh, and so they didn't know the they just didn't see him, but they didn't know why they weren't there. And so uh, at any rate, he um went to work where he was working in this hospital. Uh, they these were hospitals it was small hospitals, and they had one uh, or two that black doctors could go to use. And Ray went in uh, the next day to his work. And the administrator met him in the hallway and in, in the lobby. I saw you and on television that. last night. Oh, yes, that was that was quite impressive. And Ray said, oh, you know, they were talking. He said, but I want you to know that we no longer need your services. <laughs> and that was the end of his job. Good thing I was working. Right. I was working at Cedars then. And I, w- I worked between Cedars and Children's with open-heart surgery cases. And we were able to manage because I worked at night And he worked, uh, and in the day, I missed a lot of sleep, but it didn't bother me (laughs) uh, particularly. And uh, so as a result of that investigation, hospitals began hiring uh, black doctors, taking them on staff, taking uh, black nurses in. Changed the whole system. It it changed the the whole situation. And there are a lot of other things, like when they had to the watch riots, uh, there were a lot of—many black people were uh, just in the neighborhood. So they weren't involved in any looting or whatnot, but they were just there. And so they were picked up and taken to jail. Taken, and They were uh, incarcerated. Right. <laughs> so um, uh, they were losing their cars, their homes— they could not um, uh, make their payments. They were out, out of work. And there were so many that they couldn't have the court trials. So uh, what happened is that at that time, Ray was practicing law. So he uh, uh, went, and um, uh, he just gave up everything. And they had night court. And he went to night court, and he uh, 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 represented so many and got them out so to, to save their um uh, businesses, and um, that uh, uh, saved their businesses for them, and uh, he never charged a penny. Yeah. And that's the way he did things. He never charged for telephone calls or uh, because his clients didn't know, didn't have the money. Right but uh, they uh, uh uh and many times they thought they couldn't win a case or they wouldn't be successful in it but he would take it so it was good that I was working <laughs> yeah, at least some income coming in <laughs> yes and but um but he did well because uh, uh people knew that he was uh he uh, Ray was very uh he handled a case for me and uh he, he always he always won his cases yeah. And he said, "You never let anybody put you on the defensive." He, he was always he was always uh, on the aggressive. Right. He was quite a strong advocate. Yes, that time. Um, and uh, I remember one case that he had for me, and he was he listened very closely, and um, the opposition said this was a case on discrimi- discrimination, and the opposite uh, the attorney opposite said. uh... You, you didn't say uh, she didn't say that, and Ray said, "Oh yes," and I want it, and that that would change everything. And the the judge said, "I didn't hear it. Nobody else heard it. I didn't even hear it." And what he was just, uh, mentioning, and what she what this uh, 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 witness had said. So he, the judge asked the uh, recorder to go back and check all the record. She couldn't find it. And I said, oh, why does he stop that? <laughs> he said, "Oh," and I know Ray's very persistent. He doesn't give up. Right. He said, she, she, if you're recording, he said that, and you read it back again. She read it back. She found it. So that's the way he was. Way he, play, he, he paid specific attention to details. And he was like that here in the home too. Yeah, Uh,
0: Evelyn, boy, this has been a wonderful conversation. There's so much more to talk about. Uh, I think we'll take a pause here, if it's okay. And you know, we'll we'll come back for a second episode. Talk about your writing. Also, want to talk about uh, Ray's work with Martin Luther King Jr. So much uh, there, and uh, all of the ways you guys uh, advocated during the civil rights struggle. So. Let's wrap it up here and just say thank you All so right. much for your time.
1: Well, thank you.
0: Yeah, it's and, been a pleasure. Uh, thank for you for
1: finding uh what uh causing me to remember <laughs> so much and <laughs> yeah. reminisce.
0: You have an extraordinary memory and the attention to detail and everything you learned. And I know that, you know, you have three children who are one's a doctor, one's an attorney, one's a dentist, so that education that you were brought up with and uh Carried on to the next generation and beyond.
1: Yeah, it was just one of those things. It wasn't, um, am I going to college or am I going to do this? Which one are you going to go to?
0: Beautiful. (laughs) All right. Thanks again.
1: All right. Thank you very much.